Welcome everyone, my name is Shannon Brown, I'm a senior analyst at Standards Australia and your host of the Sets of Standard podcast, a podcast where we speak to industry experts about current and emerging industries and technologies to better understand the role of standards in benefiting the Australian community. In collaboration with the International Organisation for Standardisation, Standards Australia recorded its first ever live interactive Set the Standard podcast session. This session was recorded during the ISO annual meeting in Brisbane, which this year was hosted by Standards Australia and attended by members of the Standards community and beyond. On this episode, we sat down with different generational leaders from the standards world to understand how we can seize the next generation's creativity and innovative energy to become a positive voice for change in the standards world. The barriers we need to overcome to welcome the next generation into the standards community and how the standards world can connect with the new generation and meet their needs and expectations. This conversation couldn't be timelier, as not only is it the first time in modern history there are five generations working alongside each other, but the world is changing, and without new perspectives and ideas to adapt and innovate, we may simply evaporate. I'm just going to give you all the opportunity to actually introduce yourselves. Sergio Mujica, uh, Secretary General of ISO. I am from Chile. I've been working with ISO for seven years now. I have to introduce myself. Perhaps the the most important thing to say is that I have a a beautiful family that I love. I've been married for 30 years now. I have seven kids, six boys and one princess, (laughs) who is my my weakness. (laughs) So if you ask me about my my passions, I will have to tell you, uh, well, my family is number one. I'm Nima Msimwa from Tanzania. Currently, I work for Tanzania Bureau of Standards as a standards officer. Professionally, I'm an electrical engineer with more than seven years of experience in standardization and sustainable development. My passion about to traveling and to new places, experiencing different cultures and seek adventures. Also, I have a deep passion for nurturing and building a strong family bonding. My name is Philip Metzger. I'm the Secretary General and CEO of IC. I have been in that function uh, since 2020. I have a background as a lawyer, I'm afraid. Nobody's perfect. I have a much smaller family uh, than Sergio, but nonetheless, uh, a family I feel passionate uh, about as well. My name is Matthew. I'm from Enterprise Singapore, uh, doing in, in the role of international relations. My passion uh, would be food. So if you go to Singapore, uh, you'll find that this is a very common passion for Singaporeans. We're very particular about the food we eat. We will queue for hours, you know, just to taste something. My name is Nelson Asal. I'm the director of standards development of the Brazilian organization, ABNT. I have several passions, and for sure the family. This is one big passion I have. My name's Sarah Brunton. I've been an electrician for 25 years, and my role with the Electrical Trades Union is our national technical officer, and to represent us in all things related to standards for um, us nationally. My passions, one being my family, including my ETU family, and it's great to have two of my ETU brothers in the room today. Let's take a moment to go down memory lane. And Philip, starting with you, how long did it take you to find your first job? And who was Philip when you were when you were looking for your first job? I was a student who had just finished law school, which had included a certain number of traineeships. So I had some exposure to the workplace, of course, in a real work environment, but I wasn't a fully qualified solicitor until I I completed law school. I um, wanted to take some time off, came to Australia, by the way. I traveled uh, this part of the world, also New Zealand and, and other countries in Asia. When I did that, I had the reassurance of already having uh, secured a job, which I really found within a matter of weeks. During my my bar exam, which was in in two parts, and there was an announcement in the newspaper, quite a classical way at the time of finding your your job, in my preferred newspaper, and uh, happened to be a position which gave me an opening to international law, because I was trained as a Swiss lawyer. And and I think if you follow the path that everybody expects you to follow, you just stay where you grew up, in my case in Bern, and then you become a local lawyer. And that was never what I wanted to do. And so I was really incredibly lucky to find that 
match, but I think in terms of the time it took me to find an actually first formal job, I think that was quite typical at the time. There were abundant uh, opportunities to go straight into a, a qualified position where you're actually starting as a professional person, of course, a young professional. But I think it was quite typical for the cohort with which I, I was. We didn't have to ask ourselves too many questions about uh, starting our professional future. We got opportunities, we seized them depending on our preferences even, and, and got going. Sergio? I was a young lawyer, but I think I was privileged enough to experience a very transformational context in okay. my country because it was right after Pinochet. We really wanted to recover our democracy and to build institutions. During all my childhood and when I was an adolescent, we didn't even have a Congress and it was all about <coughs> Pinochet. When I finished the university, I was quite ready to be part of mm. the rebuilding of the country and the rebuilding of the democracy. And I was super passionate about it. So I, I wanted to work for, for the government and, and to be part of that process. It took me only a couple of weeks to find my, my first job. I found some opportunities in a newspaper, was the way to do it at that time. But in my country, it was all about networks. So instead of having headhunter, you had mm -hmm. friend hunting processes. Wow. <laughs> so people and your network uh, would offer you possibilities. And, and I did find a very interesting job uh, very, very soon, which I have to admit, it breaks my heart when I see uh, young people today, very well qualified, fighting for finding a, a, a decent job. One of my children finished international relations, excellent qualifications, ready to change the world. The same passion I had at that time. No jobs. It's a big, big difference. Nelson. I will take on, on your speech, the no jobs, because this was something that happened to me. I was, in fact, uh, finishing my biology post-graduation in molecular genetics. And I had a hobby at that time, which was computing in the, in the late 80s. So I loved informatics, digital, the, the, the beginning of the digital. This was my hobby. But then when I finished the biological studies and the, my master's, degree. The thing that happens is that uh, there was no work in that area in Brazil, but there was a lot of people calling me to help them in the digital area that was emerging at that time. Not as a job, but there was a lot of work. I assembled a consulting company. And so I started as a consulting right at the beginning. If for the, the young generation that might be listening to us, if you don't find a job, you can create your work. And I will confess to you, I have never had a formal job. I had always had contracts in my life. I, I am a company till today. When I work at, at my company here, I am a, a consulting company. My whole life, I have always had a contract with my contractors. There is a lot of work in the world. There is a lot of work to be done, yeah. even if there is no formal jobs, because sometimes formal jobs might have been uh, a characteristic of the industrial mm. model. I mean, people at the same place at the same time to do the same thing. But now we are in a more complex and more flexible world. So. If you don't find a job, you will surely find work to do so uh, you can work as entrepreneurs of yourselves. So create. Your create, create, create your own path. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it works. Who was Nima right before you found your first job? Before I found a, a first job as a young graduate engineer, I had a lot of questions resonating in my mind mm -hmm. from navigating from career life to, to work life. And where would I get a job? The feeling I had is it's full of questions and how would I manage to link the knowledge I got from the university to come to reality. You are a mentor for graduate women in Tanzania. What kind of hopes, more so what worries do they share with you about their futures? Most of them share with me they all about meeting the requirements to win a job market. Also they all about encountering gender bias mm -hmm. and discrimination. Yep. And, and what are their hopes for the future? They hope to aspire to, to make a difference in future generations and 
they wanted to become more mentors and role models for future generation of women. And Sarah, can you share with us who Sarah was before um, you started your first job? I think that uh, the story I should tell here is growing up in the Northern Territory in the 90s when I was going through the later years of high school, there was resistance for me to be able to take technical subjects in as elective subjects in high school. An example of that was when I was approaching deciding about those electives, I wanted to do welding and mechanics. And I was told by the deputy principal of the school I attended that those subjects would be of no use to me in life. I didn't find that acceptable. Yep. So I went home and I said to mum, I want to do mechanics and I want to do welding. I want to work with my hands. So mum went down to the school. She did what she needed to do. <laughs> Next minute, <laughs> Sarah's the first girl in that school to be able to undertake those subjects, which were, of course, of no use to me in life as an electrician, right? <laughs> After I completed high school, there was difficulty finding an apprenticeship, not necessarily an electrical. I was applying for any kinds of apprenticeship. I didn't care whether it was mechanic, electrical. Initially, I'd really hoped to be an aircraft electrician. I couldn't find that in Darwin, so I actually had to leave my home place and drive my little shipbox Corolla that had rust holes you could fit your arms through <laughs> to Queensland, and I started my apprenticeship in Cairns in Queensland. I think we can all agree from your story that you, for those, the younger generation that are growing up as women who, who want to, to get into that line of work, you've really created that pathway for them. So I think yeah, we can all agree agree on that. And as a trainer apprentices, do you find similar concerns and worries in the youth from Australia? Yeah, most definitely. I'm not working as a trainer anymore. I work specifically in a technical role for the union nationally now. But when I was working as, as a trainer in the Northern Territory at the Trade Training College, still in our trade, it's approximately 2% women. There's a lot of work we need to do there in the gender space. Matthew? What was it like finishing your education and stepping into into the world of work? Did it take you some time? I think it took about a year because I really wanted to find something that I was passionate in. I took my time to really consider the, the options, you know, or what, what did I want to do? And also a lot of other considerations like, uh, like you know, work-life balance mm-hmm. or the flexibility of the job. It's because it's a different generation. So we, we all have different considerations. I hear my parents, you know, and, and my grandparents tell, they tell us all the time, uh, you know, like, you know, just, just get a job. You know, it's about the security. It doesn't really matter what you're doing. At the end of the day, as long as you're able to feed yourself, that's what's important. This mindset has changed, you know, in the current generation where we're looking more than a job security. We're looking for something that could last us for a while. We value the work-life balance. We want something that goes beyond the job. You know, it's, it's more than what the door that you're bringing at home at the end of the day. It's the soft skills, you know, whether you're able to apply the soft skills in the next job that you're going to look for. And I think that's why I took a year. I really want to think through what, what I really wanted to do. In a way, I was fortunate enough. My first job was a forensic scientist and that was something I was passionate about. The stars were aligned for me. That's how I got started. It was daunting and exciting at the same Mm. time because no one really knows what you're going to do at the age of, you know, when you first graduated. Also exciting because the world is your oyster, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. We'd like the audience to let us know which generation they belong to. So the majority of people here today are from Generation X. And second to that then is Generation Y, closely followed by the baby boom generation. That aligns actually with a survey that Deloitte Global completed in 2023. And that was looking at Gen Zs and Gen Y. They were trying to look at what those generations were looking for in an employer. So it wasn't aligned with your grandparents and your parents in terms of get that job, just get that security. It's now more around work-life balance. If an organization has diversity, equity and inclusion champions, if they're very conscious of, of their environmental impacts. And we actually have a Slido question for the audience. We have a list of considerations that you might look to when you're looking to be employed by an organization. All in the audience take time to see which topics resonate with you. So work-life balance, an organization has positive societal impact and flexible working opportunities, slowly followed by diversity, equity and inclusion. Nelson, do these topics resonate with you? Is this something that you look to when you're 
uh, in your organization? Yes, I think it resonates a lot. Having flexibility and trying to balance work life with personal life. Something that was said before is about the purpose. I think Sergio mentioned this new generation is really purpose driven and we should all learn to be purpose driven. As you said, your grandparents said, no, get any job, do something <laughs> just to get the money. But it's not like that. It needs to be meaningful what we are doing because we know what get the money led us to. We know the result that we have today in the world. So we need to be concerned with the results of our actions and the purpose of our actions. So we have a responsibility. And this brings meaning to what we are to and to what we do. We need to learn with you guys to be purpose-driven in our personal job and in our organizations. The organizations must, must have a, a bigger concern and a bigger purpose to show society but but it needs to be sincere and authentic it's no greenwashing anymore and i think the younger generation can really identify when an organization is being sincere oh, and authentic absolutely. and yeah absolutely. they want to be part of their journey and be on that ride with them with you sergio on a personal level do, do any of these topics resonate with you is it something that we can see in uh, relevant to, to iso they do resonate in me yeah. A lot, but I have to admit it's been a, a journey. It wasn't like that at the beginning. As I mentioned in my first job, my purpose was to change the world. It was <laughs> all about positive societal impact, but also a lot of expectations from uh, cultural expectations okay. that uh, you had to spend a lot of time at the office. So if you would leave before 6, 8 p.m., people would frown at you. That was a lazy guy. <laughs> and, <laughs> But the world has changed and I think I have changed together with the world. And now when I see that list, everything I think is really, really important to, to achieve a meaningful life. And mm -hmm. uh, one part of that meaningful life is, is the work. Of course, the job you do, I need to be uh, something that gives you a sense of purpose, mm -hmm. but you also have your family and you also have your own personal development, which I yeah. think is really important here. Were you looking for any of these topics when you were looking for your first job? No, and, and I don't think that where an issue <laughs> at that time. It was how it was. Yeah, it was. I mean, you needed money yep. <laughs> to create your family. And I wanted to change the world for good. Everything else, gender equality was not a topic at that time. Environmental sustainability, zero. So it's really a difficult world, a different world. Philip, do any of these topics resonate with you on a personal level? I can really subscribe entirely to what Sergio said. I mean, we're, for a, we're apparently in different generations, although we're only a one year apart from each other. So <laughs> <laughs> make sure you get um, that in there. <laughs> We were also taught. I mean, it was also about what, what we learned from our parents, what we learned from the, the environment, what the expectations were of, of society and, and potential employers. So if you had asked me at the time, does this resonate uh, with you uh, at, on a personal level? I would have said basically no, because yes, I think the sense of purpose, or at least that I wanted something that fulfilled me was always there. I told you earlier what sort of were things that made me feel passionate. But I also discovered relatively soon in my career, I preferred working with people than with files. But I think we were somehow geared towards going through the hard work of filling your timesheets. As an attorney, you have to put in your 16-hour days work for I don't know how many years. And I think that has fundamentally changed. And so today, if you ask me today, does this resonate with me, with me on, on a personal level? It absolutely does. And I guess when we are talking about the younger generation, I will ask the audience for the next Slido question, what three words you would use to describe people under the age of 25? Well, here we go. Passionate, Passionate. engaged, optimistic. George Orwell, I think this fits really well in here. He said that each, each generation imagines itself to be more intelligent than the one that went before it and wiser than the one that comes after it. And I just see lazy as both there. <laughs> Please don't hold back. For Nelson, yep. you know, when you see how people are describing the youth and the next generation, why do we need young people in standards? We really need young people to bridge the future. I will appeal a little bit to, to biology again as a biologist. The most successful system we have in this planet is life. And life is based in recombination, in mixing up DNA. We are all mixed DNAs here. Diversity is the key for evolution and adaptation. If we keep the same 
behavior and the same model here in a fast changing environment that we are in a volatile world, we will be in a very risky situation. So we need to bring in the passion, the optimistic, the confident, the engaged, everything, all, even some other aspects. We need to bring in to change ourselves, not for them just to participate. Yeah. We need the new generation, you guys, to come in and change ourselves because you are the trend to the future. So you will bridge us to become different. We will recombine our DNAs mm -hmm. to become something different that we still don't know. In my vision, this is why we need the younger generation to help us change, but from within and empower also this generation coming, not just to work, but come to, to influence our decisions and our business models, etc. Sergio, in terms of the ISO perspective, the system works. You've published over 1,400 standards in 2022. So why change? Why would we, we want to have young people involved if the system works? So if it's not broken, why do you want to fix it? Exactly. <laughs> I think the answer to that was given by Adrian O'Connell yesterday. It's about relevance. It's about remaining relevant as an, as an organization. Not because we can publish 1,500 standards today. That means that we will be relevant tomorrow. And for that, we do need the, the, the younger generations. Our value proposition here is about being a Globally, providing global solutions to global challenges. And, and, and if we don't have the, the, the view of the younger generation, our solutions are not really global. And at the same time, we have embraced diversity and inclusivity in our strategy. And we need to walk the talk, not only because we want to be nice people, mm -hmm. but because we believe that our standards will be better quality if we give the younger generations a voice. And if we look at bringing the younger generation in, we have a few words up there around them being lazy, entitled. Would you consider that a, a barrier for, for bringing young people in if this is how, you know, some people are viewing the younger generation? I wouldn't say lazy, not, not in a million years. I do think that our system is probably not attractive enough okay. today to engage the younger generations. So it's very structured, a lot of rules and not too many IT opportunities. Of course, we are changing that. Today, I mm -hmm. don't think we are attractive enough for the new generations to interact with us. And we need to explain better the power of standards to change the world, because yeah. I do believe in that. But I don't think we've been very successful in explaining to the younger yeah. generation and that power. And Philip, why do you think we need younger generation in, in the standards world? It's not even limited to the standards world, although I can speak a bit more specifically to that as well. But I mean, for me, the biological imperative is very, very strong. I mean, there is, there can't be any alive organism. And I think we consider our organizations as that to really move on. Yes, you can say stay relevant, but really move on, keep up the purpose or, or even have a bigger impact without just having all these different facets of our society in terms of diversity. Of course, that includes significantly younger generation. If I look at the IEC in terms of electrotechnology, electronics, our sort of core turf, digitalization obviously is an absolute uh, central aspect there because the digital natives are, are not us, it's not the baby boomers who will um, be able to transform themselves into that digital space, certainly not alone. And I think that's a very strong driver. I remember vividly uh, just a few years ago when I had started in IC speaking to Ralph Sporer, our SMB chair at the time, who told me in his organization, his company, when he speaks to young, young engineers, that they have a completely different way of working and of thinking and also of thinking about standards. And so that for me in itself, of course, captures the absolute also the logical, the digital imperative, not just the biological imperative, but I think it goes beyond that. And it's not just for us, but if you look at stand the standards world, I think we will not survive if we just uh, keep using the sort of tested means. We have to evolve and change. Sarah, from your perspective, why do you think we need young people? There's two parts to that for me. Um, we definitely need young people because they're most certainly passionate. If I could quote Electrical Trades Union winner of the Apprentice of the Year competition this year, she said in her speech, we want to build a great future as much as you want to leave a great legacy. And I think that sometimes the younger generation is misunderstood, but that's what we're certainly hearing from young electricians. And the other part to that is definitely about gender. In my trade in this country, 2% of electricians in this country are women. So there's a lot of work to do in the gender sense and in the sense of ensuring that we're bringing young people along with us. We need to think of that 
in standards and how we're looking at the committees as well to ensure that we're making sure that women and young people are included in the makeup of the committees. Thank you very much. And we have all talked about the the need for young people, the, the fresh new ideas, that the energy. How can we balance the need for experience and expertise with that fresh new perspective that the young contributors can bring? Sergio? It's a difficult one because <laughs> I'm not sure the, the solution is have balance. I think what you need to have, what we need to have is concrete tools to ensure that uh, there is a good representation from both uh, older generations and younger generations. And it is about uh, a belief that if you have different angles represented on the table, you yep. will be able to achieve better results. And Philip, what are your views on, on how we can balance the need for experience and expertise? The word expert is quite a barrier. So if you've just graduated from university, you've got you know four or five years experience. They're the, the kind of generations that you want to come to the table, you want to bring them in. That word expertise, how do we get that balance between expertise and, and experience to bring them along the journey? It's really a very relevant question and I, I just had a, my own experience at our last uh, journal meeting where we always try to give opportunities for the different generations to meet, to have the young professionals meet, um, you know, uh, established uh, leaders in our organization, be it at the governance level, at the technical level. And I was in a session where actually the message of the uh, sort of established and experienced experts were, well, essentially, once you've done this for 25 years, then you will know what you're talking about. And I think that was quite I mean, that's the best way of creating barriers yep. precisely by insisting on long-term experience. I mean, experience matters, but and, and it's very relevant and we have to work with the generations. I have colleagues also in my uh, in my team who are actually are very senior, very experienced, mm -hmm. and, and they work very well together with the younger generation as well. I think the mindset matters a lot. We cannot just renounce expertise, but we need the openness and, and the mental opening as well by the established players to bring those new ideas, the new generations on yep. board. For sure. And I know that a lot of NSBs at the moment are taking that initiative and, and do have young professional programs to try and bring that, that new generation, the young generation into the standards world. We want to know from the audience, does your NSB have a young professional program? So we see the majority of people in the audience here today say that their NSB has a young professional program. Philip talked to us about the IEC's outreach to young professionals. Yes. So we have a, an established program, which we have had for a while, uh, a long time before I joined the organization, which I think has been quite successful. And I can say a few words to that. First of all, I think that's important to bear in mind in close collaboration with our members, our national committees uh, here in the ISO, the, the MSBs, because we are a member-based organization. And it's not just somewhere in a secretariat that you design a program and then you find the resources. I mean, we're totally dependent on how the national members can mobilize that younger generation. And so that involves different levels of, of engagement. We have some of our national committees who are very successful also in creating links with the educational institutions, universities, and so on. No program is perfect. It only works if the national members are really willing to contribute. And I can tell you they do in the IC. We have incredible initiatives taking place at national level, also inviting then other members in from other countries. I think it's something where we have to always be open to change. I just want to take that opportunity as well to congratulate Nima, who is ISO Next Generation Award winner for this year. So congratulations, Nima. <laughs> Your experience so far. So why is it important for you to participate? My experience so far, I have more than seven years of experience in standardization and quality assurance. I've been working for Tanzania Bureau of Standards as a standards officer where I serve as a technical secretary of the Renewable Energy Technical Committee. From there, I actively participated in developing both national, regional, and international standards. It is important for me to participate because I'm among of the young individuals who are making a difference in standard industry. I hope to gain more experience from the experienced professionals. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nima. And Sarah, you graduated from Standards Australia's Next Gen program. What was that experience like in terms of getting you into the standards world and exposing you to that as well? The Next Gen program was a great experience to learn about 
the processes that happen behind the scenes. As an electrician, the wiring rules is probably the main standard that it's a tool in our toolbox. It's something that's mandatory. It's called up in legislation in all the states and territories. So it's a very, very important standard to us. I think in addition to the great experience and knowledge that I gained from the Next Gen program, one thing that we could consider is allowing some of our youth members and younger members to sit alongside some of our members who are participating in committees just as observers to sit in and start to learn and understand what happens in a standards meeting. From there, they might choose to apply and get into the next-gen program themselves if, if it is something that interests them. Yeah. That's something I'd love to see happen in standards. And Matthew, you yourself have, have experience as well in terms of the Enterprise Singapore program. Can you talk us through that program and what you've learned from it and, and, and how that shaped your experience in the standards world? At Enterprise Singapore, we run, uh, I would say, in my view, a pretty successful young professionals program. We started in 2015 and there are n- numerous initiatives under this program, which we, I think, differently. So the first one is, um, you know, when we organize a young professional engagement sessions, we tailor the sessions to whatever industry that we're speaking to. So we make sure that, you know, it's, uh, it's of interest to them and they're able to see how standards uh, can be applied in, in their particular field. So this naturally means that you know there's a need you do put a little bit more effort into it but because we believe that you know there's no one size fits all Mm -hmm. and therefore we do this catering and we do feel that this has increased the number of young professionals who have expressed interest to join our national uh, committees so on top of that uh, we also have like a a mentorship initiative where we get the the current experts to invite you know uh, their younger colleagues to join as observers and this helps to ease them into the process you know to get a better understanding mm-hmm. of what you know sanitization is like what you're going to do and from there you know that that's where they make the decision well thank you very much matthew looking at the governance level how are iec and iso bringing perspective for from the next generation and those diverse viewpoints in at a governance level well <laughs> we don't have tools to bring, for sure, the voice of young people or, or even women, the governance level of ISO. We do encourage our members to present a balanced list of candidates so we have a good gender balance and we have mm-hmm. younger generations represented in our governance, but we don't have rules that uh, make that uh, mandatory. And do you think that that can flow down an impact in terms of, or do you see that over time will become the case? What I think is very important here is to first have good knowledge about the situation today. At the governance level, I can tell you the breakdown between women and men mm-hmm. or, or the age of the representatives. Yep. But at the technical committee level, yep. we simply don't know. Yes. So today yep. I cannot tell you mm-hmm. what is the age representation in our technical committees. This is something we are fixing. Yep. We will start connect, collecting that data uh, next year. We have built the, the IT infrastructure to do it. I'm going to need, by the way, the help of the members, <laughs> the help of the members to, to make that happen in a smooth manner. So we at least will have this baseline and we can improve it from there. And from an IEC perspective? I mentioned that we have in the context of our general meeting and and the cohort that gathers there, the young professionals, of course, there are a number of opportunities that are programmed in the the program of that meeting where young professionals interact with governing bodies, act sometimes also or or discuss in their own circles and then bring ideas to the General Assembly. So there are a number of uh, scheduled, if you will, interactions. But I think it's important that we don't stop there. Just have a general meeting for a week, have scheduled interactions, and then we wait until next year. I think it's very important that it happens continuously. And if I look at the last 12 months now with the YPs from 2022, there were a number of of, uh, so-called boot camps we do, often virtual, sometimes they're also hybrid, uh, where young professionals are attending or have speaking opportunities. And when we have new developments, for instance, where we establish task forces, uh, when we establish new strategic initiatives or implementation activities for our strategy, then we really try to be mindful and, and make sure we have the younger generation represented in those task forces. I think it's very important, as I said before, that we mainstream what we have as a program continuously. And I'm sure we're not there. I'm sure there are many still missed opportunities and we are uh, trying to catch up with that. How do we scale this to to make a difference across the board? About what to do, I think uh, 
the screen has a very important answer. We have 63% of our NSB with a program for uh, engagement with young professionals. We should share best practice and to learn from each other. I think that is very important. A second one is to engage with universities. We do have a program, an educational program, where we can understand what universities are doing to teach about standards. So the sooner we start, the better, definitely. And then is to actually engage with younger people, so to create opportunity for to have that dialogue that Philippe was referring to. And we're going to ask our audience, looking at technical committees, how many young, so we're considering young under 35 experts, are on the technical committees that you, you sit on? Does anyone in the table find those figures alarming? Or <laughs> uh, We started this year measuring our the age of people that are participating in our national committees. And I have some statistics here. Below 25 years old, we have 3%. From 25 or 26 to 35, we have 11, 11 something percent, okay? The bulk is really between 35 and 45 years old, where we have around 20%. And then we have um, 16% between 45 and 55, or 15 and then 16 between 55 and 65. And so it goes. But really, we have a gap. Be below 35, we have 14%. So we have still very, very low participation. So we have an opportunity here. Yeah. We have yeah. an opportunity. Changing the communication, changing and creating mechanisms as uh, Sergio is proposing. Yeah, but if you ask me today, the answer is I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the reality is today at yeah. ISO, but if you ask me in a year time, I yeah. will be able to answer. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> we'll, we'll, of, we'll hold you to that. <laughs> with the help of the NSBC. Yeah, the NSBC, <laughs> we should do the same category of age to, to measure that and then compare and consolidate at ISO and IC. I know we're talking about statistics and numbers, yeah. but when we tell stories and experiences about being on a technical committee, Nima, you are on a technical committee. Can you share your experience about being on that committee? My committee comprises of five young professionals out of 10. To me, that is a good ratio. Well, in it comparison is 50, to what we're seeing, it's 50-50. Yeah. Uh, Contribution-wise, young professionals have been easier to adapt to new technologies. Young professionals are very strong and are passionate about global issues such as climate, environmental sustainability. Young professionals are the most educated among the group of four generations. So, so those are the main differences I've observed in my TCI seat. So in terms of ideas that, are, that they're bringing to the table and their contribution, is there a big difference between what the older generation are bringing to the table in comparison to the younger generation? Of course, there are big differences because young professionals bring creative idea, yep. fresh perspective as compared to older ones. And probably we're all interested to know because 50% is a lot. <laughs> Why do you think young professionals are interested in joining the technical committee? What could us around the table learn from, from, from that committee? For me, it's just they have passion for standards and they have passion to contribute in standards development. Yeah, the North Star in terms of where we all want to, to work towards. <laughs> Matthew, you joined this, the world of standards quite recently. Yeah. Tell us about your story and any difficulties that the young professional face, either personally or in, in okay, Singapore. Sure. Yeah, I joined the standardization world recently, about two years ago. Uh, so before that, as I shared earlier, I was, a, I was a forensic scientist. And I think that was the first encounter that I had with standards, which is a little bit surprising because, you know, uh, I was trained in chemistry. You think that with all the testing methods, you know, the, all the laboratory ISO 17025, I would have heard about this during my mm. education. No, I did not. So the first time I came into contact with standards was when I was, you know, in a forensics laboratory. And I think that I realized how I, I really experienced and saw firsthand how standards can really help the people around me. It allows me to help the victims of a particular crime. Uh, it ensures that my results are consistent, are repeatable. They can withstand, you know, um, the, the cross examination in court when it's, it's submitted for as evidence. So I think that was where it picked my interest, mm -hmm. and I decided to move, you know, a little bit upstream from from a user to maybe someone, um, to, well, someone maybe a developer somewhere along that line. I think that 
the first barrier uh, for engagement of the young professionals is that there's a general lack of awareness on standards and what yeah. it can do. The second biggest barrier, in my view, uh, would be the imposter syndrome. When we call someone like an expert, there, there tends to be an association with age. If someone's an expert, it's something that you gain, that experience something you gain with age. True to a certain extent, but I think that young professionals have a lot to offer as well. When I speak to young professionals in Singapore, I think they always cite the imposter syndrome as a barrier. They're afraid that they're not up to the task. When, you know, when they join a, a committee, they're afraid that they are unable to offer insightful uh, suggestions, yep. uh, unable to provide, contribute to the constructive discussion that's happening around the table. If we can ease them into the process yep. and also, of course, ensure that the committee, you know, has a very welcoming culture, we do not dismiss their comments. Uh, I think that will go a very long way engaging the young professionals and getting them on board the standardization program. Nelson, for any of those, just with what Matthew has touched on, imposter syndrome, anyone that feels that coming to the standards world, what would your message be to them? You should come to the standards world. There's no imposter syndrome. Well, we are all learning. We are all, and every time we are learning. If if somebody says that, oh, I am an expert, I know everything, I am experienced, it's a lie because we, we are always learning, especially in standards. And this is the passion about standards because every standard is a living thing yeah. because it's always being revised. It mm -hmm. has to keep up with the technology or with the, the knowledge. So we are knowledge creators. Everybody's learning. So we are always at the same level. We should make it very clear to everybody. So this is the first point yeah. that I would say. And we have spoken a lot today about the younger generation, but let's not forget about the older generation or the outgoing generation. And now it's your opportunity to... <laughs> three words to describe people above 65 years old. And it's important to note that these experts have spent so much time and energy in building these the systems yeah, yeah. that we're talking about today. Yeah. We really want to know how we ensure that their knowledge isn't lost. I asked the older generation on this table how they feel about those words coming, coming in fast. Nelson, is there anything there that's standing out to you that doesn't surprise you or surprises you? No, it doesn't surprise. I think it's, it's fair. We need to acknowledge that. And, but I think experience is something to keep up. We need to understand also that a bridge needs to be built from both sides. We yeah. always build a bridge from both margins of the river. We need to understand what are the good and the, the strengths of the experience, the, the older side and the yeah. younger side, and take the best of both sides to create the most beautiful and most solid and most yeah. flexible also bridge for us. I think we need to acknowledge and mm -hmm. thank yeah. those yeah. older generations because they yeah. have made a huge significant contribution for the organizations to be who we are today. I like the word experience there. I would add proud because many of them are very proud of what they have done and, and wisdom. And we do need yes. a lot of wisdom for that. That's one angle. And the second one is about when we say that we need uh, to have global view and we need to include all the different angles. One issue that has not been sufficiently taken into account here is aging societies. Yes. Because not long ago, I, I met with the Minister of Industry in Japan. I asked him, what is the main issue for, for you today? And I was expecting climate change or artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And he said, aging societies. So how do we make sure that those older generations have a voice in the standard yes. development process mm -hmm. so their voice can be uh, reflected in our outputs? Our standards also need, be, need to be equipped to deal with our aging mm -hmm. society. Like Nelson said, it's bridging. It's seeing the yeah. differences as assets and not liabilities. Yeah, I think it's that's complementary. Yeah, it's complementary. Yeah, and given with Sarah in terms of your your experience, how do we ensure that knowledge isn't lost from your view? I think that the mentoring is yeah. the key to this. Um, I know in the organisation I work for, the Electrical Trade Union, it's a really important thing for us, and it's why we do things such as having youth crews and old school crews and I've got my two ETU brothers here that are a representative of each of those crews here today. That's a practical example of how we share our knowledge in our organisation yep. and ensure that, that we are building the bridge from both sides of the river.
And as a nominating organisation to Standards Australia, that's really important to me as our um, representative that oversees and coordinates uh, our interactions with standards to ensure that information's flowing through to me in an appropriate way so that when I'm representing us in the many different standards committees that I'm sitting in at the moment, I'm bringing that to the table yep. and not just the middle part where kind of I sit in as a Gen X. Yes, yeah. No, thank you very much, Sarah and, and Matthew. As I mentioned earlier, so we have this mentorship track in the Young Professionals Program in Singapore. It's working out well. But I think on top of that, what's really important in, in my view here is like a fundamental mindset change. I think from the results that we have seen on the Slido here, so we, we see like two ends of the spectrum. Uh, you know, you have like experience, resilient here, and then on the other end, you have like entitled. So I think this shows a very clear how these two generations, like the young generation mm -hmm. and the previous generation view each other. And that sort of creates a like sort of a loggerhead situation. And I think in order to resolve this, like both sides needs to come to a compromise. Uh, we need to embrace each other's mindset, the way we think. And through that, I think that is how we create a more cohesive a unit. And that's where the knowledge flow and the ideas can, can you know, be passed along better. Thank you very much. And I think we can all agree that we're more in common than we have differences. We all are working towards a purpose and we all have quite similar values as well. And I'm going to give the speakers the opportunity for some closing remarks in terms of outreach to the youth, what ISO members can do and potentially what you'd like your legacy to be. I might start off with you, Sergio. No pressure. No, not at all. <laughs> I think the first thing to do here to stop talking about the clash of generations uh, because it doesn't need to be a clash. Yes. So our responsibility here is to build those yeah. bridges. bridges because if we really believe that what we need to do here is to combine talent from younger people, from older people, that's the way to go, to build those bridges. Second, I think we need to create concrete tools. It's yeah. not enough with saying that we have to do this or we have to do that. We need to equip the organization with a concrete means to include the voice of younger generation and also uh, older generation. And the third one is to share knowledge and to learn from, from each other. Those 63% uh, of members that have the program, they need to be generous enough or we need to collect those good experiences so we can learn from each other. And I think the actual work together, I mean, what the IEC has, I think, is, is fantastic to give the opportunity to engage and to learn from, from each other in, in very concrete terms once again. Nima. Thank you. Based on the theme of this year, meeting global needs, the role of young generation cannot be underestimated. Young people possess boundless energy and willingness, which are coupled with fresh perspective, and that's essential for special urgency in solving global challenges, such as climate change, food insecurity, etc. So our involvement in organizations like ISO, IEC, are very important and they contribute a lot as young professionals. Philip? This panel um, is called the Clash of Generations, and I think we've seen in the in the latest Slido exercise that it's it's quite easy that you suddenly slip into a sort of a, a bashing pattern, and I think that's absolutely what we need to avoid. Um, of course, the title of the panel was to avoid that clash of generations, and I think what the notion of tissue that Nelson used, and also the social network, I think is is something that I think is a good sort of compass for us. I mean, there were some words that stand out. I, I noted a few. One actually has disappeared. Somebody said, "Great." There was also kind fast yep. and then wisdom has already been mentioned so i think and, and that's maybe also um, more a, a word of not advice but experience to the younger generation to matthew to nima uh, based on my own experience when i was young in that whole concert of global standardization family and community you will always find people you will be able to relate to who will possibly reach out to you or where you feel that you could have build a sort of coalition with them and they would help with your cause. And I think that's uh, important that you can uh, read opportunities of how to break the ice. Of course, you always have also individuals who are more stubborn, yeah. who are entitled and so on. But I think what we want is these generations working together. And that's why it takes an effort from both sides. 
And I think we have a particular responsibility as the, the, the older generation to, to create openings. Uh, but I think the, um, to the young generation, younger generation, I would say be bold, you know, and if you think, think there's an opportunity, try. We have overall a community that is open-minded enough that we can, we can work towards a common, Absolutely. a common tissue and not just a, a clash of the generations. Matthew, from the, the young generation perspective, what is your message? So my first message would be to disassociate age yeah. um, from, you know, discussions, decision makings. And, and this really works for both, you know, the, the, the previous generation and the younger generation. The second message that I would have is, is to really embrace each other. Every generation has its own unique set of circumstances that molded the way they think. It's important that we recognize this unique set of circumstances. This generation is going to be like, we are going to be like this and the next generation is going to have its own set of thinking the way they do things. And it's important that we embrace all these different qualities and we extract what's best out of them. Like for example, you know, one way of looking at it is for the current generation is entitled. But if you look at the other side of the coin, it could be, you know, they are willing to fight you know, to, for what they want instead of, you know, just, just you know, being quiet and doing, yeah. So I think that we need to embrace all these qualities instead of seeing them as differences. And that really would go a, a very long way in, in creating a, a more uh, harmonized working environment. Thank you very much, Matthew. I like very much your word of instead of clash of generations, embrace of generations. I think this is the purpose that we have here to build this bridge. It's not just eyes and I see. First of all, eyes and I see and our system is perfect for the new generations because we're working with and we're seeking for new and very relevant issues such as sustainability, ESG, climate change, uh, artificial intelligence. So. It's really very interesting, very dynamic. Also, it's a work that is transparent. It seeks consensus. It has openness, one of uh, the main pillars. So it, it looks like it was built up for this generation, even though it was built decades ago. So uh, it is fit for the new generation. So you really need to come and embrace and bring your ideas, bring your suggestions. But it's not just for ISO and IC or RNS. Is, is for really the world because what we are doing here is building trust and the world is in need for more trust. We are in a very critical historical moment. Uh, I forgot to say I'm passionate about history and, and, uh, and the, the world will need trust in the next few decades. And if everything else fails, we will be here. This tissue, Philippe, uh, Sergio, and everybody here, this tissue will still stand and we will bring stability to social issues, to climate issues, to economic issues. But it will depend on you guys, you new generations that are also online here listening to us to be here to help strengthen this tissue. Okay, so be Come here, okay? <laughs> be with us. And then uh, anything that happens always will be a friend beside you to help with a little bit more experience from the other generation. But essentially, we are friends here. It's a very, very friendship environment. And, uh, and it's very relevant what we do to the world. Thank you for and congratulations for the initiative. Okay. No, well, thank you. Those very encouraging words for anyone who feels yeah. that they have a bit of imposter syndrome, for sure. No. Yeah. So thank you very much. And Sarah? As a closing remark, I'd just like to say that when we treat each other like family, the mentoring just happens naturally in the sense of gender, in the sense of generational and in the sense of geographical. Thank you for joining us today. And thank you to our speakers who shared their amazing experiences, their hopes and their futures. Check out our show notes if you want to learn more about the role of standards in critical and emerging technologies and the standards development process. 